Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Thank you for joining us for a Thursday edition, also known as the question and answer edition, uh, which is uh, something I look very forward to for myriad reasons, like that word, myriad, myriad reasons, including, speaking of words that start with M, uh, Mary Langston uh, joins us on Thursday, and she is the Thursdays, and she is the keeper of the questions. And one of these days, she may be uh, the purveyor of the answers, but but maybe not tonight. Maybe it's just the questions tonight. Yeah, just that tonight. Um, glad to be back, and we always look forward to this, as you said, Trey. We do have a lot of great questions today. They're all aboard, so are you ready? I think so. Um, uh, let's find out. Kind of reminds me of being a little bit back in high school, which... Um, I guess school starts for some people. You know, tests are exciting in general. They're even more exciting when you have absolutely no idea what the subject matter is and you <laughs> haven't prepared or studied for it. There, there's just this heightened level of excitement when your teacher passes out an exam on a book you haven't read or really anything to do with math. Once you get past the multiplication tables, Every math ta- test I took was exciting. <laughs> that makes my heart race thinking of pop quizzes. Well, here's the way I look at it, uh, and I'm living proof. Eventually, they will socially promote you out of that grade, eventually. And eventually, you will graduate. <laughs> you may be in your 30s, but you will graduate. And um, you can always run for Congress. <laughs> That's true, too. There's a lot of opportunities out there. Today will be a pop quiz for you. There are questions even all the way from Scotland. So I guess we'll start with that one first. So it's from Tom, and he's all the way from Scotland. And he writes, trying hey, to follow the Hunter right Bios. Can I stop you right yeah. there and say something Go about ahead. Scotland? One of my favorite miniseries. Actually, I have a lot of miniseries I like from Scotland. Uh, including Outlander. And I, I've always mm-hmm. been afraid to do that, like genealogy test. I've always been afraid to do it because I thought like maybe every single one of my ancestors would have been incarcerated at some point or the other. And I just I didn't want to <laughs> know that. But I, I would love to go to Scotland at some point. Did you watch the British Open by any chance? It was not Scotland. It was Wales. But did you watch the senior British Open? by any chance over the weekend? I did watch some of it. It was beautiful. But yeah, I do know that Scotland gets a lot of rain, too. Yeah, it was beautiful, especially if you like carnage. 
If you like seeing the best golfers in the world not be able to come anywhere near breaking par, I mean, some of the mm. best golfers in the world shot in the 80s because of the wind and the rain. And Now, that was not Scotland. That was Wales, which I think is part of England, right. although that's a whole other debate. But I would love to go to Scotland at some point because I do think that's where I, – I think when my ancestors broke out of prison – I think that's where they left. They left Scotland and came here, I think. But I digress. There's a question from Tob in Scotland. Well, it's meant to be with the golf. Definitely for the golf, too. I mean, ancestors probably loved it, too. So maybe it's called you and Terry to come one of these days. I'm sure Tom would want you to come away. Uh, he'd probably want Terry to come. I'm not sure he'd want me to come or not. It probably <laughs> depends on how I answer his question. <laughs> That's true. Okay, well, let's go ahead and read it. Um, he says, I have been trying to follow Mr. Biden news over the past weeks. I admit to being a bit confused as to the being sought. He asked a summary of your fact view. Be welcome, he says. Uh, Tom, I guess we'll do it this way. I guess the facts would be these. Uh, Hunter Biden was under investigation uh, for quite some time. That's both a factual statement and a little bit of editorializing. He was under investigation for quite some time in connection with firearms, in particular, the application to purchase a firearm and some tax related offenses. He and the United States attorney, because those are federal offenses. So it'd be the U.S. attorney, federal prosecutor, negotiated a plea agreement. And under that plea agreement, Hunter Biden was going to plead guilty to two misdemeanor counts of failure to pay taxes on time. I mean, almost everything about our legal system we actually stole from uh, our neighbors across the pond. So I'm sure Tom from Scotland is very familiar with this. Felonies or you know, anything for which you can get more than one year regardless of what you get, anything for which you can get more than one year. And a misdemeanor, typically, although there are exceptions, typically a misdemeanor is something where you get 12 months or less. So the agreement was to plead to two misdemeanor counts of failure to pay taxes on time. And then back to that lying on the application to purchase a firearm, that's a felony, but it was going to be placed in what they call a diversion program which means at the end, there will be no conviction. Uh, it has been diverted, like a river is diverted, a felony conviction is diverted. Now, you do, you have to do certain things. You have to community service, maybe pass drug tests. I, I don't know what all you have to do, but at the, at the net result is there is no felony conviction. So that's, that's a pretty favorable resolution for someone. Uh, two misdemeanors and... Uh, and a diverted felony. Having said that, I don't know all the facts. I don't know how strong the case was. I don't know if they had witness issues. I'm trying to be fair here, even though there's a very, very small like constituency that wants fairness. I'm trying to be fair. I don't know what I don't know. But e even so, so the prosecutor and the defendant uh, reach a plea agreement. You still have to go to court and the judge has to accept the plea agreement. I've seen it done a million times. I've seen it done a million and one times. 
you stand in front of a judge and the judge is going to ask you a bunch of questions. Are you happy with your lawyer? Has anyone coerced you? Have you looked at the evidence the government says they have against you? Have you had a chance, adequate time to talk to your lawyer? I mean, guilty pleas have to be knowing and voluntary. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know what you're like exposed to or at risk of, including collateral consequences. And you have to be satisfied with your lawyer. So judges ask all of those questions. You know, are you pleading guilty because you are guilty? Are you pleading guilty of your own free will? And in this case, that's where things began to go south. Apparently, uh, Hunter Biden and his lawyers thought this plea agreement, this negotiated plea agreement, wrapped everything up. Guns and drugs and and lobbying and taxes and influence peddling and all the other things that he has heretofore not been charged with, but but you hear in the news. Um, and it runs the gamut uh, from influence peddling, uh, more significant tax issues, um, narcotics, I suppose. So his lawyers thought this plea agreement wrapped everything up. Um, it is unclear to me what the government prosecutors thought. Um, I, I don't I don't know what they thought. It doesn't make any sense and it wouldn't really be fair. And no defendant in his or her right mind is going to say, OK, I'll plead guilty to these two, knowing that everything else is still on the table and I'm still exposed to it. I just most defense attorneys are not going to do that. So something happened in what we call that colloquy where the judge is asking, do you understand this? Do you understand you can still get a year in prison or up to a year? Do you still understand that if you you know, don't abide by the terms of your diversion program, you could be uh, tried for this felony lying and buying? I think things went south because Hunter Biden thought, well, this wraps up all of my issues. And the judge wanted... The prosecutor to say, okay, that's, this means everything's over with. Everything he could possibly be exposed to is wrapped up in this one plea agreement. And without digressing any more than I already have, of course, the answer to that cannot be yes. Unless you have exhausted your investigation, how can you possibly know what all someone may have done? I remember Mary Langston. Again, I hate to say not to digress because I've digressed about a thousand times. But I remember uh, back in the old days when I used to do this for a living and defense attorneys would come up and say, OK, I'll, we're going to plead guilty to this. But, you know, we're going to put a paragraph in the plea agreement that this covers all criminal conduct for a certain time period, you know, for like a year. Mm -hmm. And I would always say to them, let me see if I can sanitize this a little bit for you and for my wife. <laughs> um, have you lost your mind? I don't know whether your client killed John Bonet Ramsey. So why in the world would I essentially give you immunity for things that I don't even know about? You, you want me to say, okay, this wraps up everything, including all the robberies you committed that I don't know about right now, including all the homicides you committed that I don't know about right now. I'm not suggesting any of that with Hunter Biden. Mm. I'm just saying it's dumb. It's dumb for a prosecutor to say, all right, this wraps everything up, even though I don't know what everything is. So the judge, ultimately, it is up to a judge to accept a plea agreement. It's up to the judge. It's not up to the prosecutor. It's not up to the defense attorney. And this judge, 
um, wasn't satisfied. So the plea didn't go forward. It may go forward tomorrow. It may go forward next next week, or it may never go forward. But the judge has to accept it. It's not just a bunch of lawyers in a room shaking hands. The judge ultimately has to decide whether or not he or she's going to accept it. Thank you so much for breaking that Trey, and thank you, Tom, for that question. A lot of us that have been confused about it. We're going to hold it right there. Be back right after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Our next question is from Pat. He writes, is there anything since can do to prisons stop the signal to prevent these crimes from doing more crimes while in prison? Uh, is there anything citizens can do to stop phones in prisons? No. Yes, and actually it says to prevent these criminals from doing more crimes right. while in prison. But the first part of that is can we do anything to stop phones in prison? Yes. And the answer is no. Okay. Um you're going to always have contraband in prisons. You have weapons, you have drugs, you have alcohol, you have phones. You mm. cannot imagine anything for the most part that you can get outside of prison. You can get inside of prison. Um, mm. That's just that's just human nature now. But that's not the second part of it. Having a phone that doesn't work is useless and there's plenty you can do to stop the phones from working. You can jam the signals. And the phone companies could do that this afternoon. But for some reason, they will not. And I can't tell you why. Maybe there is a good reason, and I'm just not privy to it. Um, I can't think of what that reason is, but maybe there is some reason that these that these carriers refuse to block the phones inside of prisons. I will tell you this, and you know this, Mary Langston, the director of corrections in South Carolina is Brian Sterling, who has been a very, very good friend of mine for a long time. Mm -hmm. And he's got the hardest job in the world, which is, you know, running our department of corrections. And he has been preaching about cell phones. It's not just, okay, we don't want you calling your wife or children on a cell phone. That, that is not it. People are committing crimes using these cell phones. And I'll tell you why. Um, and I will not belabor this point. Um, Mary Langston, I want you to assume, who do you not like? And we'll put them in prison in this hypothetical. Who's somebody you don't like? <laughs> I don't think there is anyone. We'll just There's, say Satan. Oh, Satan? I don't know we'll that Satan's going to... Well, I don't. Well, then then we get into the whole, you know, he was originally an angel and then, you know, was cast out of heaven along with a third of the others. And we're not going to get into that. It's a little complicated. It is complicated. We're going to go with some we're going to go with John Ratcliffe. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. Let's assume John Ratcliffe is in prison and you can, you know, kind of pick your reason as to why. But he's a friend and I enjoy talking to him. In fact, I talked to him today. So he calls me. All right. On the phone. He calls me on the prison phone. That call is recorded. They're all recorded. Mm. Except phone calls to your lawyer. And even then, sometimes I'm not sure. But but there's this big notice 
on prison phones and there's a voice that comes on when you use a prison phone, this call is being recorded. Trust me, I know because I've listened to thousands of phone calls from inmates in prison. Uh, usually talking about either hurting a witness or covering up some crime. Uh, it, nobody said they were smart. So you just got through warning them, hey, this phone call is being recorded, and they keep talking about ongoing criminal activity. All right. And, and that's on a prison phone. Imagine what they would do on a cell phone that no one was listening in on. Mm. So you talk to Sterling, there are crimes being committed. There are terrible things that 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 happen because of contraband phones inside of prisons and why these carriers will not jam the signals why they will not work with the brian sterlings of the world i do not know maybe someone with one of the phone companies can call me and say hey dummy this is why we don't do it there's a really really good reason and this is why and i don't even care if they call me dummy they can say Listen, dummy, this is why we don't do it. Give me the reason. At some point, I hope our legislative officials, our legislators will crack down on it because it is making life very, very difficult for people who are running these corrections facilities in all the states, having cell phones smuggled in and used to either perpetuate crimes outside of prison or perpetuate crimes inside of prison. Mm, that would be a hard job. Thank you for answering that, Trey. And thank you, Pat, for that question. Our next question is from Judy in New York, and she writes, what's the difference between question of law versus question of fact? Uh, that's a great question, Judy. Um, was the light green or red? We're in a we're in a wreck case. Was the light Green or red? That's a fact question, right? Mm -hmm. um, was the projectile taken from the wall of the bank, fired by the gun, found in the defendant's car? That's a fact question. We got the projectile. We look at the rifling marks. We found the gun in the defendant's car. We analyzed the rifling marks on a projectile fired, and we compared the two. That's a fact question. Question of law, and I want you to forgive me. It's an unpleasant fact pattern, um, but it does illustrate what a question of law is. Uh, it actually came from uh, one of the cases I prosecuted, and it's the, it's the very first question of law that pops into my mind, but it's a very difficult fact pattern. So I apologize to people in advance, and if you have children, you may not want them to hear this. Uh, assume someone is killed, shot and killed, killed with a hammer, choked to death. And then post-mortem, after they're dead, the wallet is taken, a ring is taken, a bracelet is taken, a necklace is ripped from the neck of the victim. Can a dead person be robbed? Is that a question of law or fact? It's a question of law. Can a dead person be sexually assaulted? I had that. As horrific as that fact pattern sounds, it was even worse in real life. A person bludgeoned to death and sexually assaulted after she expired. That's a question of law. 
Can you be robbed post-mortem? Can you be assaulted post-mortem? Um, and it matters. It matters in death penalty cases. It matters in other kinds of cases. Those are questions of law. Other questions of law, was the search valid? All right, there are no factual disputes. The cops showed up. The cops took this. But was the search valid? Was the search predicated upon probable cause? Was the confession coerced? That, interestingly enough, can be both a question of law and a question of fact. Not to take you too far deep into law school, but you know, Mary Langston, you cannot coerce someone into a confession. Mm. They, f- they frown on that now. You can't beat someone into confession into confessing. You can't deprive them of medicine or food. You don't watch the same kind of movies I watch, but, you know, they always offer somebody something to eat, something to drink, a cigarette. You know, what can we do to make you happy? Because they're trying to get somebody to confess. So whether or not you coerce someone into confessing is initially a question of law for the judge. So we go through this hearing where the police say, this is what we did. Um. And not to shatter any illusions, but uh, not only can cops uh, lie to someone to get them to confess, um, they do. You know, I've heard plenty of cops say, look, we, we found your fingerprints um, at the at the murder scene, even though they didn't. Under a theory that people don't confess to crimes they didn't commit, doesn't matter what somebody said. I mean, you could tell me, hey, Trey, we found your fingerprints at some murder scene. I'm still not going to confess because I didn't do it. But initially, that is a question of law. And the judge makes that decision. Fast forward to trial. The judge says the confession comes in. The jury can still reject it. And that's a question of fact. So facts was the light green or red. Was it raining or not raining? Was the car red or green? Questions of law. Did the police have probable cause? Uh, Was the confession coerced? Or these complicated questions of law, which again, I apologize to people, but I did a lot of terrible, awful, awful murder cases. When you're getting into death penalty cases, whether or not there's what we call an aggravating circumstance. Um, I had a case. um, It is death penalty eligible if you uh, commit a murder in a public place that endangered other people. That's one of the aggravating circumstances. Uh, We had a case where a man shot his uh, wife in the back parking lot of a police station. Was that a public place? Did it endanger other people? Second part of that was easy. Yeah, there were two kids sitting in the back of the car and the bullets narrowly missed them. Yeah, it endangered other people. But was the back parking lot of a police station a public place? That's a question of law. So that's the difference between a question of law and question of fact. Thank you so much, Trey. And thank you for that great question, Judy. Our last question is from Tim, and he writes, how does Mr. Gowdy read a book and learn from it? How does he approach fiction versus nonfiction? Is that from my dad or from me? 
Who is Maybe Mr. a little bit of both. Who is Mr. Gowdy? <laughs> you mean me? How does Trey read a book? Right. Um. Well, Tim, I don't. I I really do not set out to learn from a book. Um. I kind of set out to read it, and then as I go, uh, speaking of my dad, it's probably something he drilled into me, but I still do it. If I see a reference to something and I don't know what it is, I'll look it up immediately. I don't feel the least bit stupid for doing that. If I read about a battle or there's some reference to something and I'm not sure what they're talking about, I'll look it up. If it's a word that I'm not familiar with, I'll look it up immediately. So you learn by doing that. You learn like vocabulary. You learn words that you don't use in everyday life. Mm -hmm. So the result is I do learn a lot, but it's not like my goal when I start. My goal when I start a book is to think. It's just to kind of let, let your imagination, um, which is really the most powerful drug. I don't know why in the world people use drugs. Their imagination is the most powerful drug you can possibly consume. Mm -hmm. So I read a lot of historical fiction. It to, to me, that's the best. That's the best of both worlds. The events really happened. World War One, World War Two, the Holocaust, the Battle of Thermopylae. They really happened. But we are going to insert fictional characters to bring the story to life. You know, the best part about about reading is is just the psychology of understanding people, why people do what they do. What makes them do what they do? What weaknesses lie within people? Um, why do people betray others? And some people are loyal even unto death. That's what I learned reading books is about people. And even though the people may be fictionalized, Humanity is not fictionalized, and, and history is replete, and the present is replete with instances of human nature just never ceasing. If you can figure out why people do what they do, what motivates them, or how to motivate them, how to move them, how to persuade them, then you're the smartest person in the world. So... That's what I that's what I learned from books is I look stuff up. I teach myself about things I don't know, but really learning about people. I, I read very, very little nonfiction, very little. I, I know people that are just they love you know biographies and autobiographies. And I, I would rather read historical fiction. The stuff really happened, but we're going to insert characters and let your imagination kind of run run wild. So that's how I approach reading. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering these questions. Like you said, we had a myriad of questions today. Uh, we did. And uh, one of these days, um, I'm going to go on vacation. I don't really have anybody to go on vacation with. I don't know where I'd go. You do. College football is about to start, so i got to make sure they have the SEC channel. But one of these days... <laughs> What I'd love is for people to send questions to me to ask you. 
Oh, bye. I don't think they would be interested in that. They no, always they, love hearing they, from you. N- no, they don't really. Um, I mean, they're kind and they're tolerant. But anyone who listened to you struggle to come up with putting anyone in prison, <laughs> and the best you could come up with is Lucifer to put in prison, and even then you weren't sure. Uh, I'll bet they would have a lot of questions for you, starting with, like, are you real? Are you a real person or a robot? (laughs) I hope they think I'm a real person. And my dad tends to listen to the podcast, and he's going to make fun of me for that answer. (laughs) He's going to make fun of you for wanting to put Lucifer in prison? He's going to laugh for sure. Well, he shouldn't. You should remind your father that while he may be the prince of this earth, ultimately he will be bound. So he will be a prisoner in the very, very, very end. That's true. So you were just fast forwarding and you didn't feel comfortable like putting you know, Radcliffe or somebody else or Lindsey Graham <laughs> or somebody else in prison, which I would feel entirely comfortable doing that. You didn't feel comfortable doing that. Right. Exactly. I'm sure Radcliffe will love hearing that part. <laughs> uh, I am sure your father is not going to make fun of you. Your father is prouder of you than than anyone in the world could possibly be proud of anything and justifiably so so if he pokes fun at you you tell him to call me and we will debate whether or not satan as you call him or lucifer uh, is going to wind up in prison someday (laughs) that sounds like a plan and until then i guess we'll see you next thursday yeah, on that happy note, uh, <laughs> we will see you next Thursday, okay? You take care. Yes, yourself. and we will be looking for college football and all the good things that are coming soon. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.